Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 25. And, and this morning, <clears throat> I plan to preach the, the entire chapter uh, for us this morning. And, the, and this chapter includes for us the stand, Paul standing before Festus, and then just the beginnings of the gathering, uh, the pretrial, if you will, before standing before Agrippa the king. And as I have planned to preach this passage and, and will, like, like one question comes before my mind that I don't think has really come before your mind as we think about Acts chapter 25. Um, and you're not asking this question because you're not preaching this passage. You're reading this story, hey, that's a nice story, but I, I have to kind of transform it into a message that's challenging for us, that's appropriate for us, that's encouraging for us. And, and my question is this, is why in the world is Acts 25 here? That's one of all the, always a, a good question to ask whenever studying the Bible is whenever pastor scriptures are, you got to ask why it's there. Well, what would it be missing if, we, if it was left out? So why did Luke, the author of, of Acts, feel the need to put Acts 25 in there? In fact, even more so, why Acts chapter 24 and 26 and, and 23? Because I'm, I'm really thinking about how this chapter fits in with the, the ending of the book of Acts. I mean, back in chapter 21 of the book of Acts, Paul arrives in Jerusalem after many years away, and he offers up a purifying sacrifice. And almost immediately, the, the crowds around him form a mob and try to kill him. It's only the Roman authorities who, who save his life. And soon he's brought to the Roman authorities, trying to figure out why the Jews hate this man so badly. And even, um, they couldn't figure it out, and the and they you know, form this council in, in, in Acts chapter 23 to, to try to figure out Felix, or the, the, the tribune there tried to figure it out, and, and he couldn't quite figure it out, what was going on, and, and so eventually, right, he, he sent him to Caesarea. Perhaps Felix, the governor there, would figure it out. And, and Acts 24 is all about Paul standing before Felix, trying to explain just what's happening. Why did this big mob break out, and why are these Jews so angry with me? And though the Jews accused Paul of this wrongdoing, Felix, the governor, right, was, was inconclusive. He's kind of like, well, he's, he doesn't seem to be innocent, but these Jews, they didn't seem to be guilty, but these Jews are like, like pounding him. Like, so what's, he didn't quite know what to do. So he was inconclusive, and Paul sat in jail for two years. And, and now in Acts chapter 25, which we look at today, Paul's been in prison for two years, and he's going to stand before Festus, who's the new governor and again, he will find nothing wrong in Paul, and yet Paul appeals to Caesar, and because he appealed to Caesar, Festus can't release him. But Festus has to send him to Caesar with some charge of wrongdoing, can't figure out what to write. And so King Agrippa happened to visit Festus, and so he talks about this case. And so then they bring Paul before them, and Festus saying to Agrippa, like, can you help me? I've got to write some charge if I'm sending him to Caesar. He looks innocent, but I... I've got to send something. I can't just send him to Rome under the emperor and just say, well, here's Paul. People are kind of angry with him. He seems innocent, but here, why don't you hear his story? <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You've got you to like, tell him, tell the emperor what, what, what's going on. And so though he's innocent, he's still sent to Rome as a, as a prisoner. And so my question really is this. Is why did Luke, the author of Acts, to choose so many chapters to spend talking about Paul's trials before the, the Jewish council and before Felix, and before Festus, and before Agrippa. Like, there's four of them. Why did he do that? And from best I can tell, the key comes at the end of chapter 26. So you, you can open there. Look, look there at the last three verses <clears throat> at the end of chapter 26. 
this was Agrippa the king, rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. That was their big conclusion. Man's deserving nothing. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. That's twice. He did, did nothing deserving death, and he could have been freed because he was innocent. And, and I think the key here is what Paul has been aiming at since Acts 21. There's really no reason at all, there shouldn't have been, for a mob to form against Paul. He had done nothing wrong, and his trials between before Felix and, and Festus and Agrippa just all, all bear this out. Paul's trials before them said this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment, yet he's sent off to Rome as a prisoner. And one word really comes to my mind. It's the word injustice. I mean, what, what can be more unjust than this? The Romans have basically declared Paul innocent, yet he still suffers two years in prison. He's got to travel to Rome as a prisoner, where, where he's two years in prison in Rome, in fact. And yet, that's what Paul is called to do. He's called to suffer. Do you remember when he was converted in the road to Damascus? He saw that blinding light on the road, and Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was confused. Who are you? And he says he's Jesus, and he was blinded. And, and then he went to a house and started praying, and, and God appeared to Ananias and sent this message to Paul, Acts 9, 15, and 16. Go to Paul, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And this is what we see in our text this morning. We see Paul carrying the name of Jesus to kings. And we see Paul suffering much for the sake of Jesus. Bringing the name to kings. He's brought it to Felix and Festus and and Agrippa. And then also suffering. Now, Paul didn't suffer in the way that Jesus did. Not by being beaten and dying on a cross. But he did suffer by facing the injustices of a court system, right? facing the injustice of a court system in which he got these Jews accusing him, although he was innocent, and yet still, even though he's innocent, still held as a, as a guilty man being accused by these wrongdoers. And so, right, do you know anyone else who is accused falsely by an unjust legal system? Sunday school question, Sunday school answer is? Jesus, exactly right, right? Jesus is on trial before Pontius Pilate. And several times, Pilate is there talking to Jesus, looking at him. And after talking with Jesus, he goes out to the crowd. He says, I do not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Therefore, I punish him and I'll release him. The crowds, though, said, no, 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 no. He's guilty, right? Crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? I found him no guilt deserving of death. Pilate saying almost exactly what Agrippa said. No guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish him, Pilate said, and release him. And yet the Jewish crowds would not have it. And when Pilate saw he was gaining nothing, but a, a riot was beginning, and he finally gave in to the crowds, right, political expediency, and handed Jesus over to be crucified. But, but in doing so, do you remember that scene where he took water from the basin and in front of everybody he says, okay, if you want Jesus to be crucified, right, here Jesus is. But then he, he took this water and he, he washed his hands in it. And he said, basically, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Take it. Go. Declaring him innocent on several occasions, which, 
which, by the way, has awesome testimony in terms of the innocence of Jesus Christ. He did not sin in any way as he became sin on the cross then for us. But we see something similar to Paul this morning. My title of my message this morning is Innocent Before Kings, because that's really what Paul was. I, I do believe that's the thrust of what's, what's going on here. I'm not quite sure how applicable this is to us. I'm going to try along the way, but this is, this is the thrust. And what, what Luke is trying to say is that, that Paul suffered just like Jesus did, in that he was innocent and yet he was, he was treated as guilty. So I want to read the whole chapter. It's, it's a lot of verses, but I, I want to read it for us just to put it in our minds, and then we'll go verse by verse right through it as we explain it and see what God has for us. It says, now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Now, just to, just to help you, right? Jerusalem was up kind of in the mountain area. Caesarea is down by the, the Mediterranean Sea. So that, that's down. And so he went up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem because always in the hills. He went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. And Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority go down with me And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charge against him. And after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. And Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you will go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And they stayed there many days. Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charges laid against him. So when they came together here... I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss of 
how to investigate these questions. I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them, but when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and prominent men of the city. And then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Okay, that's almost record length of text to preach through this morning. Um, but I think we will get through it because it just tells the story and then basically sort of tells the story again and sets up the scene then for chapter 26, which we'll look at next week. Now, by way of outline, just to help you, uh, basically what I want to do is just divide up our text by the trials that, that we see. And the first one is Paul, the, the trial before Festus. Begins at verse 1, right? Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Now, we, we pick this up at a time of political transition. We were transitioning from Felix in chapter 24 to Festus in, in chapter 25. And these are really capturing his early days, uh, chapter 25 and, and 26 is. And the date of this transition is a bit unknown, but for the best we can do, they, they are mentioned in secular sources, um, like Josephus mentions him. And this transition took a place about 58 to 60 A.D. Can't tie it to one event, but uh, around there. And, and this wasn't a transition due to an election, right? It, it wasn't January, whatever, 21st, when we transition and we swear in a new president and everything takes peacefully. Like, no, Felix was ousted by the emperor. And quite frankly, he was ousted because he was doing a poor job. And so he's being replaced by Festus with the hopes that Festus would do a better job. And, and Festus was a happy replacement for the Jews because Felix, the rule under him was so bad. Simon Kistemacher, the commentator, says this, Whereas Felix had been greedy and evil, Festus was wise and honorable. And from Felix, he inherited a nation that was marked by the absence of law and order. So Felix was awful, no law and order. Um, and, and so Festus comes in and tries to like, establish things again. Josephus, the Jewish historian of the day, described it this way. And upon Festus' coming into Judea, it happened that Judea was afflicted by the robbers, while all the villages were set on fire and plundered by them. And then Josephus tells how quickly Festus clamped down on the lawlessness in Judea, and he proved to be a, a good ruler. And, and right off, we get to see a difference between Felix and Festus. Felix was this man of, of indecision, right? Swayed by the, the political winds of the day, right? Capitulating entirely to the Jews by like just keeping this man in prison, though he thought him to be innocent, but if he released him, he had problems. But Festus was a man of decision. He was a, a man of action. And we see within three days of beginning his administration, he, he discerns the, the tension between the Romans and the Jews, and he makes a trip up to Jerusalem, the most important city in his jurisdiction. 
And verse 2 then tells us what took place when Festus was in Jerusalem. We see this, verse 2, And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. Here's the introductory meeting that Festus has with the the Jewish leaders there in in Jerusalem. And one of the first things they bring up is this prisoner in Caesarea. That that real pest, that plague of a man. Paul is who he was. Um, Now you have to catch this, right? Here they are, one of the first introductory meetings. And and Paul, who'd been in prison for two years, was the first thing that they brought up. And Paul, if you remember, was charged with being a disturber of the peace, a leader of a false religion, and a profaner of the temple. And you'd think that if he was in prison for two years, like, they'd say, okay, well, that's enough. Like, he came in, he, he, he learned his lesson. And I, I think that he, he was punished enough for coming into the temple and leading this insurrection, even though that wasn't even true. Like, like we got him. Maybe he'll learn this time. But no, they didn't want Paul in prison. They wanted Paul dead. If you look at verse 3, Picking up the end, right? They urged Festus, asking us a favor against Paul that he summoned him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. They, they, they feigned, right? Okay, oh, you know, let, we'll take this prisoner off your hand and, and we'll bring him to Jerusalem and we'll, we'll try him for you. We're, we're going to ease your burden. Right? And here is a, a new ruler, may have been susceptible to that. That's what they wanted. But but all along, they were planning to kill him. You remember the plot to kill Paul two years earlier? If, if you turn back to chapter 23, in verse 12, uh, we, we see this, that <clears throat> when it was day, this is when he was being held in Jerusalem, and this is why he went down to Caesarea in the first place, <clears throat> that the Jews made a plot and bound themselves with an oath neither to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 men who made this conspiracy. I think there are a lot of hungry people in Jerusalem about this time because Paul survived. It didn't work. For two years he's been down there and of course they ate, but there was this vow. They wanted to kill him so bad. And in two years the plot never changed. Bring Paul up to Jerusalem and we'll try him there. We're going to kill him along the way. And that just shows you a little bit of the hatred the Jews had against the Christians. And I think that one of the keys that Luke, in the author of Acts, is going through this detail of Paul's trial because it shows that while Paul was on trial, Christianity was really being on trial as well. Because you have to remember, when Luke was writing these things, Christianity was relatively new. It hadn't stood the test of time. Right? People didn't quite understand what it meant, that, that Jesus was the Messiah and that he, he, he was in Jerusalem and, and, and died upon the cross for our sins that we who believe would be made right and reconciled to God. And the fact that Jesus died and that He rose again from the dead to demonstrate everything that He said was true. And I think many people like that, well, so is this really true? Or what about the, what kind of followers does this create? And it's important for Luke just to create, here's what it is. A follower of Jesus walks innocently. He walks righteously. He trusts in the Lord with all things. And though people may slander Christians... Just know that many times that slander that you hear is not right. It is incorrect. It is false. And that's what Paul is trying, but what Luke is trying painfully, just to just to show that that Luke, that that Paul was innocent in these things. And so likewise, right, when you hear something bad against Christianity, just just know that you know what, there might not be 
everything there to the story that you think. And I think it's important for Luke to expose the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders, just like Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees of his day. It, it just continues on. Here were religious leaders putting forth the, the law and the Torah, and we're obeying God who says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're loving our neighbor so much as ourselves that we are seeking to kill Paul, an innocent man. David Guzik said rightly, if your religion makes you a liar and a murderer, there's something wrong with your religion. And exposing these, these people. Right? And it's important here for, for Luke to justify Christianity to show that Paul's suffering is unjust. That there was no merit of accusing him. And, and that's the plight really of, of all Christians. We will suffer injustice for our faith. If you've not tasted it yet, you will taste it. People will falsely accuse you, will believe false things about you as we walk to Christ. Because, right, they, they don't understand. In our prayer meeting today, the, the, the verse that prompted our prayer today was 1 Corinthians 1.11, our fighter verse for today. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And what do you expect that, that our message, right, which we found powerful, we find powerful, this message of Christ crucified, which is our life, which is our very power, is the gospel, is the power of God for salvation unto those who believe. Like, it's the thing that's keeping us and sustaining us, going to bring us, it's the power. What are you going to do with that very message that you believe and embrace is actually folly to the world? See, the world will misunderstand you, and the world won't understand, and they will come even perhaps even to hate you, and you will suffer injustice for your faith. Anyway, Festus didn't agree with this deal to take him up to Jerusalem. I'm not sure whether this is intuition, but I, I sense it was just like, no, we, we don't do that. Um, he said, uh, the Jews, right, you guys can come down to Caesarea and try him there. Verse 4, Festus replied that Paul's being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to be there shortly. So, let the men of authority among you, here we're in Jerusalem, go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. And so, that's what the Jewish leaders did. Festus stayed in Jerusalem another week or so. He returned to Caesarea, and the Jewish leaders followed after him, and and they had another trial. We read that in verse 6. And after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, this was Festus staying there in Jerusalem, he went down to Caesarea, And the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. Now, the tribunal, this is like the great judgment seat where where, uh, Festus would sit on the seat and and basically be the judge of all judges, right? Not jury system. It would go straight through him and he would declare innocence, guilt, or or whatever. As Paul was brought, verse 7, when he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Just banging him with all these charges about how bad he is, how bad... Festus, this man does this. Festus, this man does this. He does this. He does. But none of them could they prove. Right? Right? Because Paul is innocent before the kings. And if you're counting, this is the third time that Paul stood trial so far. The fourth time comes in chapter 25, which we'll look at next week. But... First in chapter 23, standing before the Sanhedrin, 24, standing before Felix, 25, here standing before Festus. And it's the same old story. Same old, same old. You'd think one would get tired of this. But though verse 7 doesn't list actually the charges, they're the same charges from two years ago. 
right? Trumped up. Paul, he's a disturber of the peace. He's a, a leader of the false religion. And he's a profaner of the temple. Right? But, but, but he couldn't prove these charges at all because these charges were not true against Paul. Paul was, if you will, suffering unjustly. He was walking innocently. In verse 8, we see Paul defending himself and he defends himself along these three lines. I'm not a disturber of the peace. I'm not a leader of a false religion. I'm not a profaner of the temple. Look, look what Paul says. Paul argued in his defense, neither against this law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. Right? He didn't transgress the law of the Jews. Right? He's, he's not um, a leader of a false religion. He didn't defile the temple. Straight out, he says that. And thirdly, he says, not a disturber of the peace, which would have been an offense against Caesar. So I didn't sin against the law. I didn't sin against the temple. I didn't sin against Caesar. I am innocent. And once Paul had finished his defense, I'm sure that that Festus rightly discerned that, that Paul had done no crime worthy of punishment in a Roman court. Yet, I think Festus observed like, wow, these Jews, they're really worked up about something. And since um, Rome had no quarrel with Paul, Festus basically said, well, Paul, how about, how about you want to go back with them and be tried by them? Would you want to be tried by them? <laughs> no. Amen to that. Absolutely not. Verse 9, wishing to do the Jews a favor, he said to Paul, you should go up to Jerusalem where we tried on these charges. Tried on those charges. But Paul knew that the, the death trap coming. He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. And, and Festus' hunch was exactly right. No, you try me here in Caesarea. Not, don't try me there in Jerusalem. Right? You don't go there to try me. I, I'm here before the Roman court. He refused to go to Jerusalem, and Paul says this in verse 10, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If I then am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing to their charge against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. And those words change really the course of, of Paul's life. Change the course of his fate. I appeal to Caesar. And Paul knew that the facts of his case would vindicate him before any Roman court of law, but his trial in Jerusalem would not be fair, so he appeals to the highest court in the land, Caesar, let me stand before the emperor himself. So Festus then goes away, he talks with his council, verse 12, then Festus, when he conferred with his council, answered, to Caesar you've appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And this sets the trajectory really for the rest of the book of Acts because Paul heads off to Rome, the capital city in the Roman Empire, and we see him in Acts chapter 27 traveling. And then chapter 28, he is there in Rome awaiting another trial. Now what's very interesting about this, this has been Paul's plan all along back in chapter 19. Look at chapter 19 and verse 21. I have it boxed in my Bible and some cities underlined, and I trust you should too. This was a future plan of the Apostle Paul. He said, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, right, gathering money for the saints, and then to go to Jerusalem to give this money to the saints. And after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Macedonia, Achaia, Jerusalem, going to Rome. It's exactly like he planned, but I don't think it was exactly the way that he would plan. How often is this like our plans, right? We, a man 
plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And Paul says, I got to go to Rome. And God says, yep, but you're not going to go as a free man. He got a free ticket, actually, to, to Rome as the government probably paid for him to, to be there. And that's how he would arrive in Rome. He would arrive as a prisoner. But, but listen, right? It's all incredibly unjust. Here was the Apostle Paul. When, when he trying to make peace according to James' counsel in Acts chapter 21, he goes into the temple trying to offer up this peace sacrifice. Right? Just, uh, 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 these Jews come upon him and attack him. Totally unjust. But know that this is our lot as believers in Jesus, is to be attacked and to be misunderstood and perhaps be abused by the world. We will be mistreated. And the reason for this is this is the case of our leader. right? We follow a crucified Lord. Jesus himself faced the injustice of the world upon himself. Right? And even if that last day in court, particularly, that last day of his life, spent it in court, time after time, Pilate saying he's innocent, yet Jesus was sent to the cross as a criminal. That's injustice. And we're called as believers to follow in the steps of Jesus. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 21-23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving example, so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. See, Jesus set the example of what it is to suffer justly. It means just to just entrust yourself to God. Just say, God, this is my lot. Now, like Paul, it doesn't mean that you can't defend yourself in an appropriate way, but it's not fighting back. It's not declaring, oh, this is so unfair. I mean, Paul never, throughout this whole thing, says, this is so unfair. Maybe he did in his prayers, like David did often, like, God, you've forsaken me. Where have you gone? Please come me. My, my enemy is hating me without a cause. Why is this, O oh God? I think that's Psalm 35. Why is this? Help me, O oh God. Maybe some of those prayers, but... But here he didn't try to ring the system. He simply says, I appeal to Caesar. Let's, let's go the, the, the way of the courts. And though Paul appealed here to Caesar as his ultimate accord, our, our ultimate court of appeal is, is not the law of the land. It's not the civil court. It's not the Illinois court. It's the Supreme Court of the United States. Our ultimate appeal will be God, and God will be found just. And the promise of Scripture is that God will judge justly. And that's what Jesus did, right? He entrusted himself to God who judges justly, 1 Peter 2.23. And so we, like also, we not need to overburden ourselves in justice we might face for following Jesus. Listen, right, if you faithfully follow Jesus, you'll be persecuted. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus would be persecuted. 2 Timothy 4.12, take it to the bank. The people of the world will hate you because you follow Jesus. And when you face your injustice, Paul did here. Paul told, Peter told those um, he was writing to, he says, entrust yourself to God who judges justly, 1 Peter 4, 19. And I think that's the, that's the big lesson we have here, that Paul was innocent, yet he just endured, walked walk right through it. Said, okay, God, I'll go to Rome. And if you know, his perspective was, okay, I get to go to Rome. There's my mission field. My mission field here has been before kings, and now my mission field is going to be in a, a Roman 
prison cell. And in fact, if you remember, when he wrote to those in Philippi, he says the gospel's been known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. He was in Rome when he wrote his letter to Philippi, and everyone surrounding him, the gospel's been spread there. And so Paul used his, his injustice against him for an opportunity for the gospel. Okay, there's the, there's the first scene, just uh, the trial before Festus, and now we come the pre-trial before Agrippa, because the actual trial comes in chapter 26. Agrippa here, in verse 13, we, we read, Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. Uh, Agrippa here is, is merely identified as the king. He was the ruler over the region of Galilee and some of Perea, which is a bit just north of where Festus was, was governing. And so that Festus and Agrippa were, were really colleagues, if you will. Agrippa was called the king. Festus was a governor. They're, they're still really basically equals. Um, it would be as if um, this meeting here, when they, they met together in, in verse 13, would be a bit like the governor of Illinois meeting together with the governor of Wisconsin. Right? Very much equals just getting together. And, uh, um, you know, Bernice came as well, and, and Bernice was Agrippa's sister, though rumors has it they were living as husband and wife, which was a scandal, of course, but that's, that's right in the line of what these Agrippas like to do. Now, Agrippa was of the line of rulers, which we read about in the New Testament. His great-grandfather was Herod the Great. He had the great distinguish of being remembered for all eternity of trying to order the deaths of all the male children in Bethlehem. Not the best thing to remember, be remembered for. Um, their uncle was Herod Antipas, and he's best known for beheading John the Baptist. And their father was Herod Agrippa I, who ordered the death of James. This is not a, not a good lineage. It makes sense that they're living together as husband and wife, this brother and sister. But they came with some political clout, like, like families we might know, Bushes or Clintons, right? This whole, this whole family line of, of people. And they had some experience with dealing with the Jewish nation, and, and so they talked. And when they got together and they talked, like, like when pastors get together and talk, we talk pastor things. And I'm sure uh, when governors get together, I bet they talk about governor things. And that's what they were, were talking about. And Festus really essentially asked advice of Agrippa, knowing he had some expertise, particularly the Jewish religion. Verse 14, and see, they stayed there many days. Felix laid the case before the king saying, and as much as this is repetition, uh, there's a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face, had the opportunity to make his defense concerning their charge laid against him. So when they came down here, right, because they met in Caesarea, I made no delay, but on the next day I took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. And when the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. Everything's just a rehashing of the events that took place in the first 12 verses of this chapter, right? That uh, Festus had gone up to Jerusalem, heard about this prisoner, they met, right, that Felix had left over, they met, they said, came down to Caesarea, invited the Jews to come down upon hearing the case. Festus was unimpressed. He was supposing like some different accusations to come against him, like some great criminal, or maybe a, a murderer, or maybe a thief, or maybe some insurrectionist that had all these people following him, but that was not proved to be the case. Like, underwhelmed is what happened. 
And then the most interesting verse, I think almost this entire chapter comes in verse 19. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. And it's at this point that we get a little more facts to the case. When we heard Paul give his trial on the the first time, all Luke recorded is just the one sentence of Paul's defense in verse 8. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. So like just kind of summing up, not against the law, not against the temple, not against Caesar. That's all that we get from there. But we realize now that that there was a little bit more. Luke is summarizing the defense. So verse 8 isn't exactly what the only thing that Paul said. He certainly may have said that, but that's a summary of, of really what he said. But here, Festus relates the story to Agrippa and Bernice that that uh, really he, he speaks nothing of Paul's denials. Rather, he just adds more details that that there was this dispute about the law. Okay, that's one thing. we kind of. But there's dispute about this certain Jesus who was dead, whom Paul asserted to be alive. <laughs> it's a great summary for one who doesn't quite understand the Christian message, but is getting it a, a little bit. I mean, and the Christian message is indeed about a certain Jesus, a Jew who lived in the land of Palestine, who was put to death on the cross as a criminal, but who conquered death by rising from the dead. And that those who believe in him right, will, will follow him, will rise from the dead with him and be with him in the everlasting Jerusalem. That's our hope when we, we trust in him, that we too can conquer the grave. And this is our message. So, so Paul, as I've talked so often before, the resurrection was so key to his message that here even he brought it up in his first trial with Festus. But what's shocking is that Festus knew so little of this. I mean, the, the fact that Festus calls him a certain Jesus, like, no, this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus ha Christos, Jesus Christ. This is the one. It's like, well, there was, this, there was this Jesus person. It just shows that he didn't understand the gospel. It's as if he had never before heard the name of Jesus. Is that shocking to you? I mean, especially our reading in the New Testament, it seems the whole world knows about Jesus. Because it's all we read about. We read about Jesus making this huge impact in the land of the Jews of his day, right? So everybody's talking about Jesus' death and, and burial, and then this confused about the resurrection. Did he really rise? But it caused a stir, you know, almost all of Israel. And here we are, about 30 years later, this educated man perhaps right he was he was risen to be a king right he just knew the history of what people things were going on like like he didn't even know jesus as famous as jesus was 30 years before he didn't know and here was here was paul even on his mission we read in the book of acts how how they're preaching jesus in jerusalem and and even the people there right When, when peter started preaching A.D., whatever it was, right right after the, the death of Christ. 30, 33, whatever. He, he's filling, he said, you're filling our whole city with his name. Like all of Jerusalem knows about it. And then it spreads to Judea in the north and Samaria in the south and even throughout the inhabited world. And, and we see Paul on his missionary journeys going. And it almost seems like wherever he goes, right, the message of Jesus starts spreading. And sometimes he even got there and Jesus had already been named, right, talked about things and they've, they've heard about it a little bit. And he goes and revisits and he's just spreading and spreading and spreading abroad. But here it is. This Roman ruler knew like nothing about Jesus. 
I think the applications here are super plain to us. We need to tell about others about Jesus. About who He really is. And, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if there are people in your relational circle who know about as much about Jesus as Festus did. And if the book of, of Acts is calling us anything, it's calling us to be witnesses for Christ. Simply means telling people about Jesus, who He is. How about this challenge? All right? There's a little challenge for you. How about you talk to someone this week who's maybe not religious, you suspect maybe doesn't attend church, and you ask them if they know anything about Jesus? I'm going to take up the challenge myself, and just by God's grace, with my boldness, I'm just going to pray and pray, because evangelism is 90% prayer, I'm just going to pray that God leads me to some non-Christians and just ask them, um, what, what do we know about Jesus? I mean, just in a real way, not, 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 well, right, I got this, I got this survey I'm taking, you know, what do we know about Jesus? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. It's just even, just find out what they know. And, 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 right, if there's nobody in your relational world, which might be the case, maybe you work at a Christian institution, or maybe you're a homeschool mom, and we're all surrounded by, and we awkward to go, well, how about just try when you're at, at Costco, or, or Walmart, or Home Depot? I, I mean, you, you can do that as well. Just someone's along the aisle and just say, excuse me, listen, you know what, I got a strange question for you. I was, I was at church on Sunday and my pastor just kind of mentioned about how maybe there are people in the world that don't even know who Jesus is. And I'm just wondering, do, do you know who Jesus is, Jesus Christ, what the Bible talks, do, do you know about him at all? Well, great, if we can hear some stories from next week about people, maybe you have the opportunity for the first time to tell people about Jesus. I think there are loads of people in our, in our society like that. Festus didn't know anything about Jesus until Paul told him. All he knew was a certain Jesus who, who was dead, whom Paul asserted then to be alive. And certainly there are many in our culture who are equally, practically as ignorant about Jesus. And I just say, may the Lord give us wisdom and boldness to be his witnesses. Let me just pray for that end. I'm not done with my message. I just want to pray for that. Real practical way, just ask somebody if they know like who Jesus is. Father, I pray that you would give us boldness this week as we seek to try to be his witnesses. Each and every one of us might feel a responsibility just to ask one person this week if they know who Jesus is, right? If they read the Bible, do they know anything about Jesus and what they can tell? What, what, what they can tell you? God, just, just open this door, if nothing else, to give us a vision about where our people are in our society. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, anyway, right, we've got to finish the, the chapter. Um, Festus continues on the summary of Paul's case to Agrippa and Bernice, right here in verse 20. And, and, and here's adding, right? I, being at a loss to how to investigate these questions, I, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem, be tried there, but when Paul had appeared to be kept, appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. And basically, Festus was, was asking Agrippa for some counsel. Like, I was at a loss. I, I didn't know what to do. Like, maybe, maybe go up there. But Agrippa, I know that you have some Christian background, right? Or at least a Jewish background. So you understand a little bit about the law, and maybe you can discern some things and help me. And Agrippa said to Festus, verse 22, I'd like to hear this man myself. Like, you've intrigued me. This is an interesting governor situation. And, and then Festus said, tomorrow you will hear him. 
And Agrippa sounds a lot like his uncle. You remember the, the trials of Jesus? Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin, determined his guilt, and then, then they pushed him onto Pilate because they didn't have the authority to put him to death. And Pilate couldn't quite figure out what to do with him because he looked innocent, but the crowds were against him. And so do you remember when Pilate sent him to Herod? Because Herod just happened to be in the city that day. Sent him to Herod Agrippa, um, who was actually uh, Agrippa's uncle. He was in town, and, and Jesus had Jesus sent over to him to try to figure out what to do with Jesus. And we read in, in Luke twenty three eighteen when, when Herod saw Jesus, he was glad for he had long desired to see him because he heard about him and how he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Now, Herod was really disappointed meeting Jesus because Jesus said not a word. Even when Herod questioned him at length, Herod just ignored him. Maybe you've seen videos of Modern-day senators just walking through the hallways ignoring what reporters are asking them because they don't want to say anything. Even when the chief priests and the scribes were accusing him, Jesus was quiet, like a, a lamb before his shearer is quiet, fulfilling Isaiah 53. I think he was disappointed. And, but, but, but Herod was eager to meet him. And I think likewise here, Agrippa, eager to meet Paul and hear from Maybe Agrippa had heard his uncle tell stories about this strange man who stood silent before him. Even when the chief priests were accusing him over and over, Jesus gave no answer. And now Agrippa has an opportunity to hear about this Jesus. Like, I've heard about this, and he's really intrigued. I want to hear him myself. Tomorrow you'll hear him. So the date was set, and we read in verse 23. All I'm going to do is set the scene today because we don't have time to go through chapter 26, right? Some of you, let's go through 26! Okay, no, no, okay. We want to eat our pollock, right? We want to eat. All right, that's what we're going to do. So we're just going to zip right here with 23 and following. It says, the date was set. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. And they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So picture the scene. You got the highest governmental officials in the land, surrounded by the military officers, decked out in their military uniforms. You have the prominent men of the city, this whole gathering, they were there with great pomp that was all fancy-like. The red carpet is rolled out, the trumpets. Ladies and gentlemen, the King Agrippa and Bernice and Festus. So there's a big festival. And then comes Paul. It's a hunched over man. In his, in his prison garb, his flip-flops in his orange jumpsuit, and he's standing before all of them. That's the scene. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, verse 24, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he did nothing deserving of death. And as he has appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. So funny. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I've brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we've examined him, I may have something to write. For it seemed to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Basically said, I'm stupid. I don't know what to write. I need your help because it's going to go to Nero and uh, it's got to be something good. So everybody, collective wisdom, help me here. But these guys, I, I heard a preacher this week talk about how important and 
Like, they thought they were all important and just so fabulous. And, and you know what? What's really interesting is here we are 2,000 years later, and of all that big crowd, of all the pomp, of all the military leaders, of all the kings and the governors right up front, who do you remember most? Paul. And you know what? The only reason you know Bernice is because she's mentioned in the Bible. I've told you about her. You didn't know nothing about Bernice until I told you. Or Agrippa, I don't think. Maybe if you're a good Bible scholar, maybe you know some. You didn't know much about Festus before today either. The only reason we know about these guys is because they're mentioned in Acts 25. But we won't hear about them very much longer or ever or whatever. Just it's right here. So you read your Bible, you will. It teaches us a bit about significance, does it not? Here is this Paul. And he, we still read his writings today, every Sunday in church, often. We've memorized his words. We've meditated upon them. Such is the ways of God. As Paul was innocent before kings, he gives his testimony next week in chapter 26. And this is the testimony that will endure through time is what God did through Paul. That's what endures. Not only for eternity, but also even in time. His testimony of the road to Damascus experience that he related in chapter 22, he's going to relate for a third time here. In Acts 26, it's God who gets the glory, for God is doing this work in Paul. I can't wait to, to read it next week, and uh, you all will come, I trust. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that in some way you would apply this text to our hearts. God, that we would see that Paul indeed was an innocent man being accused unjustly, just like our Savior was. Just thank you for Jesus and how he suffered for us and he became a man to know what our suffering is like. He, he knew what it was like to lose a loved one. Think about these parents of these five children who were killed in a car crash and, and uh, Jesus knew what it was like to lose Lazarus and weep for Lazarus. And Jesus knew what it was like to face ridicule from family say his mothers and brothers. He knows like to be misunderstood. God, so much of what we go through in life, he can understand, he can comprehend, embrace, and come around us. And so, Father, I pray that we would run to him. Help us to see in Jesus our all in all. God, the one who brings us to you, the one who is the lamb upon the throne who is worthy of all honor and glory and dominion. He who humbled himself to the point of death you highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. God, so may we trust in him. May he be our delight. And, and God, I pray in your, your grace that you would strengthen us to walk blamelessly before the world. Of course, internal our sin, we will never escape that. God, but just be blameless in our society. Let the society hate us for, for loving babies and for standing up for them. And and, and may our society hate us for standing up for what's right and for justice and standing up for the widow and the orphan and for doing what's right. May we be innocent before, before our nation as Paul was. God, so help us, strengthen us in these days. Uh, Lord, I pray also just for our, our meal here afterwards. I, I pray that you would just bless it. Uh, God, may our time of fellowship be good. May we meet people maybe who we've seen, don't know much about. It be a time of genuine fellowship and, and sharing with one another at Rock Valley Bible Church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.